I'm curious, uh, maybe this is a a certain time period, but how many of you have seen the movie The Princess Bride? Yes, quite a few of you have. And uh, there is a character in there. When we first meet this character named Inigo Montoya, he explains who he is and what he is all about. He meets this man in black, and he explains to him kind of what the big problem is in his life, that he wants to get this guy who had killed his father. Do we have a picture? We have a picture of him. We have no picture. We've lost everything. It's all right. Um, I think you know. Uh, uh, And so he explains, hey, you know, I've been chasing this guy for 20 years, and I want to be able to get back at him because he killed my father. So that's the whole reason why I've learned how to fight with a sword, all of all these things. And he says, you know, I've been looking for him. I'm starting to lose hope of ever being able to find this guy. It's been 20 years. So I work for this other guy, Vizzini, to pay the bills because there's not a lot of money in revenge. That's what he says. Uh, When we are hurt, we want to be able to get back at someone. And so when we watch the movie with this guy in Hugo Montoya, we're kind of rooting for him to be able to find the guy. And we want him to be able to get back at him. It's, it doesn't fix what happened to him before, but it's somewhat satisfying. We want that person to kind of get it. We want him to be able to get even in some way with the person who had caused him harm. And so we, we sometimes root for those people. There are other people, when, when harm is done to them, we, they root for somebody else to feel a little bit of that pain. Uh, I was the one who had caused some of that pain once. When I was first uh, on staff with InterVarsity, I first graduated from college. I was meeting lots of new students, and we had this new student mixer event. And apparently in the course of conversation, we were at like Denny's or something, I think I, I cut off a student in mid-conversation to tell some story. And uh, I told the story about how something really bad happened to me. What's funny is that she and I became friends afterwards, and she told me the story about when she first met me. She said, oh man, when I first met you, I was like, this jerk, I, I, I don't like this guy. And so I was telling a story about something bad that happened to me, and she said, oh man, I remember thinking, you deserve it, you jerk. I probably kind of did a little bit, to tell you the truth. So we root for people who have done some kind of harm to us to kind of feel it a little bit. Uh, whether it is by disrespecting them, I cut her off. That's a form of disrespect. There are, there are people who harm us or take something from us in lots of different ways. They can disrespect us. They cut in line in front of us. Uh, they do some other form of disrespect to us. Uh, maybe some way they, they take money from us in some way. Uh, they uh, cost us money by breaking something that's ours, or maybe even they're scamming people and taking their money. We want those people to feel it a little bit. We want to get even with them somehow. Uh, there are people who take our time. Uh, that could be somebody who, maybe there's a customer who's wasting your time. It could be a coworker. Some of your coworkers maybe create more work for you and make you spend a bunch of extra time for them. They're costing you something. Uh, and they, you kind of sometimes feel like, I owe that person for that. Uh, there are uh, people that cost us energy. Maybe, maybe you have a colicky baby. It could even be people we care for. Maybe there's a particularly difficult child, uh, either in your family or in your classroom. Uh, those things cost us energy. Uh, people can hurt us physically. It could be as simple as maybe we get in a car accident. Uh, it was just an accident. It just happened, but we do get injured. Or it could be as psychologically traumatizing as somebody who is supposed to love us, someone who is close to us and supposed to care for us, 
who does us harm. That can be really extra painful. I think it would be good for us to pray. And there are people in this room who have experienced those things. Uh, maybe it's next, somebody next to you, maybe it's you. Uh, let's, let's pray uh, right now, even for that thing. That's, a, that's kind of a heavy thing to say, and I don't want to breeze past it. But God, we ask you, as we think about hurts and the things that people have done to us, sometimes they're simple, dumb things, like you took the last bagel, right? But sometimes it's something much heavier. People who have hurt us in real ways that have repercussions for our lives. God, we pray for the people who are near us, next to us, that we're sitting next to, people who are online, people that we know, people that we don't know. We count on your justice, God. We count on your healing to work in us. God, we ask you to enter in even to these places and help us to process this so that it's not just the world's way, but we want to do it your way, and we, do, we just need your help, God. We, I ask you even that we will be able to even hear what we have to say. Uh, the, I know there's some people, there. the sound is blasted out now because of even mentioning that thing. So God, we pray that we'll be able to hear your voice through all of this. We pray in your name. Amen. Uh, so, we remember ways that people have done us wrong. It's kind of hard to forget. You don't even have to nurse that injury for you to still be able to remember it. And we, when that happens, we want to get even, even if it's just you're happy for that person when they're telling that dumb story about how they got it wrong and they cut you off. Uh, so we, it's hard to forget those things. And I want this morning to be the beginning of a conversation. Uh, we are not going to be able to tie up all the loose ends. I'm hoping that as we think about these things, about this idea of is there anything better than getting even? That's a topic that we're talking about together. Is there anything better than getting even? And I think that's one of the things that we think, gosh, that's what I want. My heart drives toward that. I want to get even. Clearly, my, my soul seems to think that getting even is what's going to take care of it. And we can ask, is there anything better than that? You, in your circumstances right now, maybe have had some kind of thing that has happened to you recently. If it hasn't happened recently, we can guarantee that some other human will do something to make you upset sometime soon. Well, this week's readings, we are, we are in this series, it's called Immerse. We're reading from, from uh, a, several different books of the Bible and trying to understand what God has to say to us in that through Joshua and Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. And we've arrived at this part that if you're reading along with us, you read from Second Samuel to the beginning of First Kings. You don't have to read to be able to follow along with the series, but I do invite you to check it out and do it. You can read in your own Bible. We're going to be in First uh, Kings this week, and you can read along ahead. If you want to know where those are, it's, in, it's on the front page of our website. You can find all the readings are listed on there. This, this week, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of times that the Bible does tell us what to do, uh, how we should act correctly. There are other times where it just simply describes how life is. Uh, a real pithy way of saying that is you say, sometimes the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. It describes what's happening. It doesn't tell you what to do. And I think that we had plenty of that this week as we read through what happens at the end of King David's reign as it leads into his son Solomon's reign and all the things that happen through that. And one of the things that, that stood out to me this week was how many ways people hurt each other and how many people wanted to get 
even. And, that, and it happens over and over again through lots of different places. And one of the ones right out of the gate, as we read, there's this, this guy, Absalom, who's David's son, and his sister, Tamar, ends up getting violated by another half-brother. And maybe that was kind of the end of the reading for you. You're like, I'm done after that. I would totally understand. Uh, but so she, this is, it's terrible. She gets hurt, uh, not only physically, it hurts her emotionally. It causes, this is, this is, we understand even today the repercussions for how this would be hard for us uh, emotionally and socially now. Just imagine in a, in a world where Everything is wrapped up in you being able to get married. Everything. There's no option for her in a career of living some other life, of moving to another city. She lives in a place where everyone is surrounded and knows the story, and it's something that she can't get over. So we feel for Tamar. And Absalom is mad. And it was kind of a point in Scripture I said, I, of all these characters, I feel like I feel the same as Absalom. I want that brother to die. So he, something wrong has not only happened, it didn't just happen to him, sometimes wrong things happen to people that we love, right? You've maybe experienced that. Somebody that you care about has something bad happen to them, and you feel that you want to get even. It doesn't just have to happen even just to us for us to have that desire to want to get even. We want justice for people who have had bad things happen to them. We want something, that other person just to hurt in some way as well. And there were lots of stories like that, of people having something happen and wanting to get back at them. And that's just kind of the way the world works. It's kind of the way that our soul kind of naturally leans toward that. We want that kind of thing to happen. And that's maybe why when we came across one story in particular, it may have stood out to you if you were reading along with us. It's in uh, 2 Samuel 16, and David (coughs) is... (coughs) This is after this incident with Tamar, and Absalom now, this same son, has decided that he wants to take David's throne. And he goes off and builds an army, and his army is headed toward Jerusalem to take the, the capital, and David makes a decision. Uh, he says, I think that they're stronger than I am. It seems like he, he's afraid that he could lose his life over this thing, and he flees, and Absalom comes in. And David, while he's fleeing, so he's He's not only losing his throne or in the midst of this turmoil, he's also losing it to his son. And so much conflict. I think you could write your, uh, probably your psychology PhD on kind of some of the, finan- the family dynamics that are going on in David's family right here. Uh, but as he's leaving, there is a guy who just heaps insults on him. Like, David, <laughs> I've always hated you. <laughs> and as he's leaving, he goes, this, you deserve this. Yeah, and he, he says he heaps curses on him. He even throws rocks and dirt at him. This guy's name is Eliezer. And so he's, he's literally like heaping everything he can around him and verbally on David. Well, David has been shamed. He's leaving his throne. But he is still surrounded by people with swords, okay? Not a good idea to insult people when they've got swords around you. So one of his soldiers says to him what you would expect. This is in 2 Samuel 16, 9. Then Abishai, one of his, uh, David's commanders, son of Zariah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. Right? You're like, it would be an honor, Lord, for me to get to be the one to cut this guy's head off for you. You have been disrespected. You're my man. 
I'm going to show you how much I love you by cutting off this dude's head. And so we expect him to go, yeah, can you please take care of this? This is bothersome to me, <laughs> right? It would have taken care of it. But David says, no, 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 don't do it. And it's kind of funny. He goes, I kind of deserve it a little bit. Uh, and he said, maybe I, maybe I kind of deserve some of this. But I think, so that's in a moment when he's down. David comes back to power. Eliezer goes, uh-oh, Right? Now David's back in power again. And as he's coming with his army back into Jerusalem, who's the first guy to meet him? Eliezer. Hey, David. Ha, I, I've, I didn't really mean it. <laughs> right? Um, so I really, I think you're really great. <laughs> I didn't really mean that stuff. How, what are you going to think at that time? You know, you, people tell you stuff when you're down that they really think, Right? That one employee, when they're getting fired, maybe all the other employees tell them exactly what they always thought about that boss or whatever. Yeah, see you later, bud, you know. But he, so David, what is he going to do? And that same, the same guy uh, who before says to him, he goes, hey, here's that same guy. Now surely you'll let me kill him? <laughs> and he goes, no, 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 I'm, I don't, don't kill him. I, I promise that I will let him live. Pretty amazing. I, I think I, what I see at first, you, wow, David, so magnanimous. He's in power. He could easily kill this guy, kind of takes care of his problems. I mean, it looks bad, right, to a Bronze Age warlord to not kill the guy uh, who's doing that to you, right? That's bad. Uh, and so we think, hey, all of us think that that guy deserved it, and yet he didn't get it. He didn't get even. Is the affair done for David? I, he, it wasn't. He had not forgotten, because at the end of David's life, David is laying on his deathbed. This is in 1 Kings 2. David is laying on his deathbed and talking to his son Solomon. And he says, Solomon, I have a few things to tell you. He says, I want you to love God with all of your heart. You should care for God. And also, there's a couple people I want you to kill. <laughs> it's, it's the most Godfather moment of the whole Bible. I just, I hear like David, na, 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 na. He goes, he goes, that guy Eliezer. So one of those guys I want you to kill is Eliezer. I promised him that I wouldn't kill him, but I didn't say anything about you, Solomon. <laughs> Solomon, I want you to send his gray head to the grave in blood. Hey, no. He had not forgotten. And, and I, I, even maybe, I wonder if he had actually even kind of tried to forgive the guy. I don't know if it was a political decision why he didn't kill him. I don't know if he, he was trying. He was, maybe he had like kind of worked up enough energy to go, I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, I'm a guy, guy after God's own heart. I'm supposed to love this guy. Maybe he, had like, maybe he had kind of fought to have the emotion that he felt like he was supposed to have. But in the end, what we find out is that he had kind of papered over the hurt that he had. That it was still there. It hadn't gone away. He hadn't forgotten. And it was still eating at him enough that it it wasn't over for David, and he wanted to get even. Because if it had really been over, he could have just said, love God, see ya, I'm out, right? But it wasn't like that for him. And I wonder, I wonder for us, if there are things now that maybe we have even said that we forgave, things that we said, maybe we even tried really hard that we would be able to be people who would, could forgive something or let something go, and, but the truth is, it's still kind of in there. There's stuff that is still there, that's still hurting us down below. And you know what? If we were able to get even, that would kind of be all right. And if we could make it happen, we would. 
we feel like our only option is to kind of, the only way to take care of that feeling is for us to get even. Maybe that's what it is. I've got a feeling, I want to take care of it. That's the only way I can take care of it is by getting even. And the question we can ask is, is there anything better than getting even? My heart doesn't seem to think so, but I wonder. There is a, a glimmer of hope for us in our reading, and it comes from kind of a surprising place to me this week. I, I thought, what, what is there in here that helps us? And I was surprised. Uh, at the end, in, the end of our reading this last week was around 1 Kings 3, and uh, it says that, uh, Solomon had asked for great wisdom. That this guy Solomon was asking for wisdom instead of asking for power, not for long life. God, had, God said, hey, I'll give you whatever you want. And he says, I want to have wisdom so I can rule well. God goes, great ask. And I'm also going to make you rich too. That's good. Good ask. Uh, and, but there's a story that's told to explain kind of, it's, the main intention is about how wise Solomon is. But I want to draw out some of the subtext for us. Sometimes, sometimes a, a subtext is really important. If you are uh, an artist, you can understand some of the, the subtext can also be important. And there are some subtexts in this thing in 1 Kings 3. So uh, it's easier for me, instead of just telling you the story, I'm just going to read it for you. This is in 1 Kings 3, beginning in verse 16. Go ahead. Some time later, two prostitutes, that one, it stood out to me that these were prostitutes. I didn't, I didn't remember that detail. They came to the king to have an argument settled. King Solomon, please, my lord, one of them began, this woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. Three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There were only two of us in the house. Sets the tone. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw this isn't my son at all. Then the other woman interrupted, It certainly was your son, and the living child is mine. You lie. No, the first woman said, The living child is mine, and the dead one is yours. And so they argued back and forth before the king. What's the king going to do? Then the king said, maybe you know this. If you, if you know any stories about Solomon, you may know this one. He says, Let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim that the living child is yours, and each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. And a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and half to the other. Uh, we discussed this at Bible study this week, and my son, my, who's seven, was there and went, wait a minute. Okay. Then the woman who was a real mother, he's supposed to be wise? Is this a good idea? Right, is, uh, then the woman who was a real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh no, my Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he will neither be yours nor mine. Divide him between us. She has been hurt. She's been hurt. And, and if we have experienced that loss, we understand that. It's, it's, if you have had trouble getting pregnant or if you've lost a baby, it's a little hard to go to a baby shower, right? She's been hurt. So in her own grief over losing her child, she was willing to see another person burn with her, right? I'm fine. But the king says, no, do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him alive, for she is the mother. Genius, 
right? He found a way to be able to figure out who's who's who's. That's great. Uh, but this subtext is this: these women came to Solomon looking for justice. Specifically, one woman. The other one was happy the way it was. Bring me justice. And I, 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 what stood out to me was that he was willing to listen to them. He was willing to hear this argument. You know, it could have been easy for him to go, you know what, I don't need an argument from marginal people. You, you don't really matter. If you were like a noble, fine. But these are, these are marginalized people who have, com- who have come. And there's this we can see, we experience, we feel the grief in this scenario. People who have lost, and it's the cycle of grief that we experience as humans in this world a lot. And this, this story, to me, stands out from all the other stories of kind of revenge, you know, injury and revenge that go back and forth because there's something a bit better. And, and there, I, I just want to, quickly draw out three aspects that are here in this interaction that point away from the way that the world works and toward the way that the kingdom of God works. So away from the normal, natural way that, that the world says you're supposed to get even towards something that's a bit better. Uh, so that points toward God making things right and writing injustice in the world, making the world better and not just kind of perpetuating the same old thing over again. And the first one is, what we see here is that there is a just judge. Go ahead and put that up there. We have a just judge who's willing to do this. And I, too often in our world, we don't get to experience any real justice. I think the, the best that we can expect in our world is proximate justice something close to justice, uh, that, that if something bad happens to us, the, kind of the best case scenario, if they catch the person, right, if they catch them, send that person to jail, whatever, that we, we don't get back really our time and our energy or whatever was lost. We get some satisfaction from that person going to jail, I guess, but we don't always get back what we, lo- what we lose. And even worse, there's plenty of times when those people get away with what they did, whether they... Uh, Justice, just, uh, they don't catch the person. Maybe they were rich enough to hire a really good lawyer and worm their way out of it. Uh, maybe uh, it's, maybe the whole thing just, it, but whatever happens, we're never able to get back that person or that thing that was, that was lost. There are, there are times when people's apologies are never said. And so the best we can ever hope for is this proximate justice. But what this looks forward to is a better justice. This woman, she's wondering, am I going to be able to find justice when I come to this king? He's known to be very wise. What should we get? And I think that Solomon's judgment points forward to our God's good, just judgment. That if Solomon is wise enough to be able to figure out in a very complicated thing where there are only two people, that it's your word against hers, that, that God was, he was able to discern what's right could God also be able to determine what's right? To be able to give us real justice. Sometimes we, when we think about God's judgment at the end of history, sometimes we feel a little embarrassed about that or something. I think people don't want us to talk about that that much. But I, I kind of can't imagine my world without God's judgment. If there weren't a just judge over everything that we are going to be able to bring things to, our world would be so much worse. Because the people who get away with it will get away with it forever. But instead, we know 
No matter what happens in this world, no matter how much proximate justice we have, we will have ultimate justice. The God who is good and wise will do what's right. He won't do too much. He won't do too little. And he's going to make sure that nothing bad, evil, is going to go to spoil what is after this life that we have with God. None of that will be marred by the injustices that happen in our world today, little or big. None of that stuff will be able to make it into eternity. He's going to judge rightly. And, and even, I, I just want to offer too, that eternity also offers healing. I, there was, as I thought about this passage a bit more, I, I just felt so much for the woman whose baby had died too. And I know that there's a, a part in Revelation where it talks about there's this tree that's there, and it says the, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And that speaks not only to the fact that God can bring justice, but he can bring healing. That, that there is this judgment, but God is also going to heal whatever wounds have been in our hearts or in our world, in the systems, and in the small acts that happen in our world, that God is going to be able to do that. We can count on a just judge, and it changes the way that I'm able to respond when something happens to me in this world I can consider in some small way what's better than getting even. I can also count on that there's a God who doesn't let anything by. That God is going to judge justly. And it changes my whole perspective of the world. That it's, it's not now or never for me to take care of this. I don't have to strike back in order to make sure that it's even. It's, it's not that this isn't the only chance for this to be taken care of. The second thing that points away from this, the world's way of doing it and toward the kingdom is actually the way that the woman responds, the, the real mother of the child. She says, let this child live. She's, she's willing to, I, the term I can think of is she accepts the death of her motherhood to get, let this child have life. She, she has this self-giving love for this child. She was willing to let it go, even to that other mother who was trying to pull a fast one and do this whole thing. And, and I, what I see is that she was unilaterally willing to bear the pain of the situation to keep her, her son alive. So I, I think if, if Solomon is an image of this just ruler who will bring good judgment, this king who will bring good judgment and ruling, I see this kind of nameless prostitute mother as an image of Christ, the self-giving one, the one who is willing to accept on himself the injustice of a situation by self-giving love to give life to others. It's possible right here you're going to expect me to kind of push you real hard to tell you you've got to forgive somebody uh, right here. Um, maybe that's the case. Uh, the forgiveness is a very complicated thing, and I, we do need to lean toward that. But as Christians, I want to say it's not your job to correct everything broken in the world. That it is the centerpiece of all human history is the cross of Jesus Christ. That Christ himself was the sacrificial one who died. And what's interesting is that we as Christians are actually invited in to follow in the wake of that forgiveness. That we are, we are called to act like our Savior, yes. 
Uh, we, and we are supposed to reach out toward that kind of forgiveness. I think a lot of times we don't make it there, so we have to actually ask for that forgiveness for ourselves. But we're not the ones who are fixing it all. I think we can work toward justice. We can work toward good, approximate justice. We can work toward real forgiveness. But we can also recognize that we're not the ones who bring forgiveness. Uh, we stretch toward self-giving forgiveness. I, I, one writer says that we seek to live in the messianic pattern. I thought that was really great. That I, I can give forgiveness. Jesus says, we're able, he tells a whole parable about how we're able to forgive because we have been forgiven much. So some of it is we are echoing God's own forgiveness in our lives. Uh, but it's this pattern of discipleship that is self-giving love that we are supposed to live into. And I think that this woman is a great example of that. The last one, I, I think that we, we kind of read past it sort of quickly, but I just, it really stands out to me the fact that this woman came to God to ask the king. How presumptuous. <laughs> you know, she didn't just like go to her clan leader. She went to right to the top, right? I'm going to ask for you to fix this thing. She came before the king. And you and I, we need to bring our pain before the king. We can bring our pain before the king. Now, the woman, she spoke in really measured tones. She, she spoke super respectfully. She didn't how, know how she was going to be received there. But we, we are told that we are children of God, that we can come to God with our brokenness. And I want to say that, I want to say that you can even come with rough prayers. As we wait for God to bring true justice, as we stretch toward him in, in seeking forgiveness and self-giving love to other people, as we're stuck in that moment, we are invited by God to bring him our rough prayers. I want to give you permission to bring those kind of prayers to God. What's beautiful, uh, David was a psalmist. He, he wrote a lot of psalms that we read. Uh, there are certain psalms that are very rough. They cover the whole of the emotional gamut that humans experience. And there are some types of psalms that I think that there, I have read articles about people who, uh, who are not believers who want us to be embarrassed of them. You should be embarrassed that there's something that's written like this. Well, I, I want to say the only people that can say that you should be embarrassed to say or think those kind of things might be people who have never experienced the kind of injustice or brokenness of the world that you would want to say those things back. They're called imprecatory psalms, if you like the theological word. Basically, it's the kind of thing, it's a psalm where people say, I, God, can you please smush your thumb on that person? I would like that very much. God, I would like that very much. Uh, when you get home, you can read a couple of these. Uh, be something like Psalm 69 would be one that you can read about that. Uh, Psalm 109. There are a bunch of them. Uh, there are some that are very rough, let's say. Uh, but basically, it's, we have, it's giving words to our anger at what people have done. And if you have experienced something really unjust or terrible, you might feel like, I'm supposed to be a nice Christian. But what God is inviting us to do is, he says, in the context of a world where God is a just judge and Christ is the one who gives his life for you in an unjust way, right? We, we deserve God's punishment, but God is willing to forgive us too. That we can bring these things to God and say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. God, this is wrong. 
and we give voice to our rough prayers to God of the brokenness in our world. It, we, it's, it's, it's a type of lament. We say, God, this is, we're holding up. God, you say that our, it's not supposed to be like this, and yet it is. Why aren't you acting? Do something that we can bring those things to God. I want to invite you to do that, to bring your rough prayers to God, to bring what you have before the king, like this woman, to bring it before the king. Well, all this stuff at the end of 2 Samuel, beginning of 1 Kings, lots of old news. People who are broken, they don't do it the right way. Uh, It's hurt turning back into hurt. Uh, And it's probably similar to hurts that you might have. And you may be asking the same question that other people in this text are asking. Is there anything better than getting even? And I'm wondering if there's a way for us today to take a step in that direction. The, The answer, the true answer to the cycle of judgment and brokenness and, and the pain that we have is that God was willing to send his son to subvert the whole narrative of history. That the one who didn't deserve to die was willing to give his life for other people. The one who is going to be the just judge also says that I'm going to be the one to give myself for you. That he's willing to hear our brokenness and our prayers. So we, we trust in God's judgment. So when something is happening to us this week or the next week, the, this is the framework that we can begin to, res- to have that happen to us. We feel it in a different way now because we trust in God's judgment. We also know that we live in a world where there's Christ who ha- gave his life. He, he suffered along with those who suffer. We have a God who knows what it feels like to face injustice. And yet he gives his life for us as well. And we can pray to him in those. We can stretch toward this God. So here's, here's my challenge for this week. Uh, this certainly, as you're hearing this, you think, but what about this thing? Kurt, what about this thing? I can think about this circumstance. I wonder about this. So I would like for you this week to talk about this with somebody else who's in this room, who's, who's heard this, somebody, another Christian, somebody else who's thinking from this worldview. And I would like for you to say, to pray what would it mean for you in this circumstance to pray even your rough prayers about this situation in the light of God's ultimate judgment and Christ's redemption on the cross? So talk about that circumstance. I hope that you will, you probably had something right away. I heard a couple of people giggle when I said that, right? There's something in your mind that you say, I, well, what about this thing? So don't let this be the end of it. I would like for us to think, is there anything better than getting even? Because I don't want you on your deathbed to want somebody else to die. I, want, I don't want that to be the end. We can trust in God because our life is going to have these things of hurt and we're going to be tempted that we want to get even with people. It's just going to be real. That's how it is. So let's put these things into action. Can you imagine how this would change? If just kind of everybody in Simi Valley did this, wouldn't that really change our world? The way that we react to each other, the way the, it, instead of hurt multiplying, amplifying like a feedback loop. Instead, there's, there's kind of this break. And that's the thing that God started in our world. It's a, it's a way that we as Christians even approach the whole world as we think that greatness is by serving. It's amazing. I hope you'll stick with us. We have a few more weeks left in Immerse. We're going to be in First Kings this next week trying to say, God, what do you have to say about this life of Solomon? We're going to get into Elisha, Elijah, all that kind of stuff. There, is some good, there are some good things in there. And I think that there's great stuff for us to think about even today. 
Some of this stuff might have seemed far away when we first started reading it. I, thinking about how I respond to people doing bad things to me, I know that something's going to me, happen to me this week where I'm going to have to think about that. Pray for me in that. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we bring to you the small things that happen, the petty annoyances, and we bring to you the great injuries as well. We hold these things, and some of those things we have not let go of. So help us to move a step toward healing, to bring real prayer to you, to acknowledge the depth of the pain of the thing that happened to us, but to also trust in a new way in your judgment, to, that you are good, just judge, to, to trust in a new and deeper way in your cross, that you are the one who died and rose again, and that gives us hope for ourselves and even for other people. Because you said that we're supposed to love our enemies even, and that feels crazy. But it's because we have so much hope for how much you can change hearts. I, I pray, Lord, that there will be apologies said to us. I pray that people will change their life so they don't do those things that cause hurt anymore. But in the absence of those things, God, I pray that we will trust in you in a new way, in a powerful way. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.